Center Saint Sister, we are women, we are wives, we are mothers, we certainly celebrate womanhood, but that is not at the exclusion of men. Good men are at the forefront of our ministries by empowering us to dream God-sized dreams. I've known for a while that there were some brothers out there that I wanted to bring into the mix, and this gender inclusion thrills me. Welcome to this special episode of Center Saint Brother with Ryan Pale. There's controversial stuff all around us. There's polarizing politics and scandalous religion, tense racial relations. There's Kanye. We're living in a contentious time. People's opinions are all around us. And just 15 to 20 years ago, we weren't exposed to this many opinions. I mean, people weren't yelling from their porches, I disagree with you. Your facts completely unfounded. We weren't doing that. But with the help of social media, everyone knows what we think all the time. And certainly worse, we know what everyone else thinks all the time. And with social media, people have lost all their context. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, when somebody was spouting off an obnoxious comment you disagreed with, there was context for that person. I mean, yeah, he was a little surly, but it was Ed, your dad's friend from the softball league whose wife taught you piano. But now, people are being reduced to their obnoxious comments, and only those. And then, because of that, we can all too easily put them in a box that gives us permission, I'm going to be frank, to hate them. Because we've made one opinion their whole being. A caricature. People have become caricatures, reduced to nothing but exaggerations. And we have so much more hate in the world because of it. All believers are the called of God, and our calling is to respond to what we have become in Jesus Christ. One. Jesus tells us that if we become one, then the world will know. On his way to the cross, that's what he prayed, that we be one, because then the world would know. And because of that... I know that I cannot believe in a Christ who confirms my preferences because every time I draw a line in the sand, he is on the other side of it. So I have to abolish any distinction or discard any idea of other or them. And that box marked hate. I have to kick it down. I have simply got to quit rolling my eyes at people who disagree with me because we are all children of the same God, brothers, sisters, but children. Thy kingdom come. On earth, thy kingdom come. We say that, and we pray for that, and we sing that, and we might even fast for that reality, but for it to mean anything at all, we have got to hang on to Christ tighter than we do our preferences or our opinions or our boxes marked hate. We as Christians are called to something greater, and we cannot stand inside the smallest concentric circle that we think is the most right and only commune kindly with the people who affirm who we already are. We don't grow that way. We will never be seen as one. The world will never be set ablaze, and we can never be the city on the hill. We will never be known by our love. 
in the midst of our pain and suffering. There's war and disease and death, but the core of the gospel is good news. And we are reconciled to God and to one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the world desperately needs this good news. But how can good news have any credibility at all when we as Christians can't hold our tongues or find mercy? How can we take a message of forgiveness and mercy and communion out into the world when we so easily let denomination, race, politics, disagreements divide us? As Christians, our gospel mission is to make God's love known by the way we love each other. And yes, it's a big project, but it's God's project. And God's vision is to move us forward while we tap into all that we have been given by him. It's important, I think, to understand the root of our tendencies, to understand why we hold on so tightly, why we do what we do. Because I don't think we can right wrongs until we know exactly what our wrongs are. And anyway, nothing can change until it becomes what it is. It's conviction that comes before repentance. About seven years ago, after years of bouncing around from town to town, my husband and I moved to this town to start our real, grown-up, not-moving-anywhere-ever-again life. And even though we were ready to move, and we knew that our last home was a temporary one, it grieved us deeply to leave it. And I don't know if it was my unrealistic expectations or the stage of life we were in or the high bar that my girlfriends in my previous town had set, but making friends once we moved here, it wasn't happening with timely ease. I expected to fall into new friendships as if friendship was this one big thing instead of a million tiny things. And I sulked. I felt lonely. In a couple of weeks into my sulking, I was asked by an acquaintance from my college days, someone who was well plugged into this new community of mine, to talk to a group of student chaplains that she mentored about how they could more effectively minister to the wilder girls in their organizations. These wilder girls were affectionately dubbed by the chaplains, their peers, as the crazies. And their meeting that I was supposed to speak at was called How to Reach the Crazies. I was thrilled. First of all, I was thrilled to be asked to be a part of something. I was missing my pack and my community, and I felt enthusiastic about the inclusion. And secondly, while any invitation might have consoled me during this lonely time, this invitation seemed like a special one because my acquaintance seemed to understand me well as somebody who struggles with a bit of an identity crisis. A little bit chaplain, a little bit crazy. She saw me as somebody who could relate to the crazies, but was really a chaplain at heart. Or maybe she saw me as someone who could relate to the chaplains, but was really a crazy at heart. Whatever the case, I started preparing my talk. And my bullet points were along these lines. Number one, if we don't have true love for the crazies, then our words are just a clanging symbol. Number two, it's humility, not piety, that's going to show them Christ. Number three, our love works like a magnet. And number four, I threw it in at the last minute that a little humor didn't hurt anyone. And that was all well and good. Fine. We had a nice time. But I went home unsettled. After some tossing and turning and prayer, this question plagued me. 
How in the Sam Hill do you talk about winning people to Christ only barely talking about who Christ is? I thought about how those crazies sure would love Jesus if they really knew who he was. And I wished my message to the chaplains would have been just that simple. Girls, I should have said. Tell them, the crazies, who Jesus really is. Not who our Christian subculture has created him to be, but who he really is. Not some pharisaical version of himself, but the true version. The version that rooted for sinners. They'll love it. I know that they will. Tell them that, that Jesus loved the outcast. And girls, do you want to know who the outcast is? Because I just sat around a table with you where we spent two hours calling a group of people the crazies, so I have a hint. It's not us. We aren't the outcasts. The crazies are. And Jesus' heart bleeds for them. That's right. And the outcasts' hearts? They were completely transformed by the acceptance they received from him. Hear that? The acceptance. Never the shame. So maybe we should rethink all these labels that we give people. Maybe we should understand them as people who sin differently than us and call them sister instead. Maybe sister, not crazy, is what is more humble, Christ-like, true. Girls, when you think of Jesus, I want you to consider these things. He chose them too. And it's their house that he wants to visit. It's them that he called down from the tree. They are who he met at the well. They are who he reached out to touch. For them, he drew in the sand around his table. He wants the partiers, the selfish, the lonely, the mentally ill, the cheaters, the oppressed, the judged, the promiscuous, the homeless, the sick, the movie stars, the ones on Wall Street, the addicts, the ones caught up in bad choice after bad choice, the ones with broken hearts. They are deeply, deeply loved, as are you. So where around the table do you fit, sister? Because you see that you're called there too, don't you? Our job as someone sitting at the table is to tell of the love of Christ. Not to anyone especially, but to all of us equally, because we are all equally in need. I thought about what I wished I would have said, and I wondered why it wasn't more obvious. People who don't know about Jesus should be plainly told about their Savior. Why was that confusing? Why did I scheme? Why did I plan? I considered my own loneliness at the time and how it might have contributed to this missed opportunity. And the word that kept flashing in my brain like a neon sign was belong. Is belonging the opposite of loneliness? Do we have a word for that? I missed this opportunity to speak a deeper truth because I wanted to belong. And I don't think that's an ignoble thing. After all, God wants us to belong too. But he wants for us a godly belonging, where we belong to each other, all together, interconnected, neighbors like selves, everyone. God came for everyone. And in my loneliness, I took a shortcut to belonging. For a moment, I felt included in part of a mission. We were going to tame these crazy girls, by God. And I was thankful for the camaraderie of the club. I jumped on board and I threw my arms around these girls, these girls only, missing a much bigger picture. And I realized that these chaplains probably felt the exact same way that I did. They were probably a little bit lonely, or maybe even a lot. 
And all the while in our desire to belong, we separated ourselves from that title, the needy. It's a shortcut to belonging, isn't it? It's not the kind of belonging that God calls for. It's too small. It's too easy. And it's not true. Our titles and our man-made groups, they might be an instant fix to our loneliness, but so often in our desire to align ourselves with something, that alignment forms boundaries where none were intended. We distance ourselves from others, those crazies, by creating names for them and by putting them in a group all by their lonesomes, marginalizing them as a group to be ministered to especially, all the while making ourselves feel better by creating our own more desirable group. And when we do that, don't we remove ourselves from that table that we so desperately want to be invited to? Jesus would have received the Pharisees the same way that he received the outcasts. He would have. But the Pharisees had trouble with how he received the outcasts. The Pharisees had given themselves a special name, an important group, membership in the desirable club, and the rest? Well, they were a little crazy. And crazy wasn't quite good enough. The crazies were in need, and they weren't. In the book of Matthew, there's a story about a man who sowed seed in his field, and it was good seed, the story goes. But an enemy came while everyone was asleep and littered the field with weeds. The owners, steadfast servants, came to him and asked, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? And the owner, I'm picturing him yawning, explained that it was an enemy that was responsible. But so very steadfast, I read hyperactive, the servants asked if he wanted them to to go ahead and get rid of the problem. No, he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you're going to uproot some of the wheat with it. So... Let everything grow together until the harvest, and then, at that time, I'm going to tell the harvesters first to collect the weeds and tie it in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I love it when God's word thumps me in the forehead. It's my favorite way that he shows up sometimes. He puts it so plainly for me. The well-meaning servant plainly points out, God, I see we have some suspect wheat here. And God says, you're right about that. And the servant says, you want me to separate it out? Trying to be helpful. Nope, says God. No offense, but you're not that great at it. You'll make mistakes. Let's just leave it up to somebody else. And in the meantime, let's just grow together, kid. And isn't this just great? I think it should be on t-shirts and billboards. Thanks, but no thanks. You suck at separating. Concentrate on growing instead. Love God. When it comes to separating, our strengths lie elsewhere. It's just not our bag. Why? Because God welcomes those we usually reject. God chooses those we pass over. God puts to work those we would fire. God befriends those we would leave out. We're bad at it, he says. It's not our job, he says. We can't go around drawing definitive, decisive lines, putting people in piles. He doesn't mince words about that. The elite didn't like being in the same pile as the crazies, and they refused to grow together, and they insisted on separate piles because they liked their man-made lines so much. 
And you know what happened? They missed God. When he was right there among them, inviting everyone to the same table, they missed him. We can't miss God because we like our group. We long to belong, but there are better, truer ways to do it. We can't make godly decisions that are not ours to make based on our desire to fit in. I did that while I led a group of precious, well-meaning girls in doing the same. We live in a time of not yet and now. And yes, peace is ours. It's already here, but not yet fully. And maybe never fully here on earth, because maybe full peace can only be realized in coming face to face with the love of God. So not yet. But until then, the now, God is on the move. And yes, things are contentious, but I feel a shift of hope and freedom and grace over anger. We can choose gentleness and beauty and kindness and mercy over cynicism and anger and being right in contention. Just a little bit of heaven here on earth right now. Thy kingdom come. Nicety, nicety. Yeah, right, right. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Done. Hi, Brian Pale. Hi. <laughs> How's you, it going? How are you doing? I'm doing... I think I'm supposed to say good, right? You are. Right. You okay. are. Okay. I am okay. fabulous. One of my very plus. favorite things... So, I love a jillion things about you, but one of, like, this very tangible moment of, like, this is why I love Ryan Pale is, so you were, like, the only guy voice, like, to enter into Center Saint Sister ever <laughs> at this live recording, and you get up in this room full of women, and you say, I'm not nervous, you're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I even botched the way I said it, too. Like, <laughs> no, you did that. As a demonstration. That's no, funny. it was great. I love it so much. Yeah. But you are. You are just revered by yeah. all these sinners and saints and sisters. It's cool. It's been, it's been fun. I will say, uh, um, getting to go, you know, you had my wife on to talk about our, uh-huh. our bus exposition, expedition. And uh, I wore a few times a Center Saint yes. Sister shirt. And it's just funny to get those looks yeah. when I have this big, bold letters, Center Saint Sister. I was like, I have two of them. Two or three sound bad. So. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. You know, when we were debating, when I say we, I, I just kind of have an inner circle of little prayer warriors that make sure I'm not doing this alone. And um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we should ever take on big godly projects alone. Um, and so we were talking about, you know, who do we want to speak? I did not want to do all the speaking myself. And I really, I just felt a pull to share that stage with a, a preacher and a priest. Mm-hmm. I really, that felt important to me. Mm-hmm. And I had two people. I mean, you were my first choice mm-hmm. and Father Jared was my first choice. And... Um, Y'all both said yes, but as the women and I discussed, if that kind of went against what we were about, Mm. these saints and sisters, um, we quickly decided no. Do we consider ourselves feminists? Yes, we do. We are not feminists that dislike men. Mm -hmm. We revere men. We love our men. And so for us, feminism, it just means equality for women. It means Mm. respect for women. And you are so respectful of women Mm. and you just did a bang up job. And I just appreciate you so much. I will say, I didn't just say yes. I emphatically said yes to that, that. the opportunity to get to do that. And, um, 
the cool backstory, I can't remember all the details, but some of the things that were laid on Father Jared and my heart mm. to communicate, mm-hmm. you would I think you would have had an encounter too. So we were wanting to focus on Ephesians 4 and unity, yeah. and that was something that, yes. that was stirring in you. Actually, I literally have chills thinking of your answer to that call. You did not just show up and fulfill a role and give a tidy unity speech, which you could have done. <laughs> mm-hmm. You dove deep mm-hmm. and you called people out. <laughs> and did that feel risky for you? Uh, there's something interesting I'm learning about myself. I interpersonally, I'm going to try to fight to keep peace in a relationship. Not the good kind of peace. The peace is like, let's just make things okay so we can all smile with one another and laugh and have a good time. What's interesting is I'm finding more and more that when I have when I have a responsibility to bring God's word uh, into a situation, so whether it's preaching or whether it's having an opportunity to speak to a group, I, I become a little bit more bold and confident yeah. to address those things. And I think what helps me is knowing that typically when I'm addressing it in other people, I'm addressing it in myself yes, as well. Yes, when you're not excluding yourself yeah, yeah, from yeah. the lesson. That's yeah, important. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So, so that's kind of, I, I, I feel or I gather a little bit of confidence maybe to speak. Can I just say that's why you're so well received is mm. your humility. Uh, it, is, yeah. it is so humble. Mm. Ah, I just Thanks. can't get enough of the way you do it. No, I really, cool. it's very, very special. Awesome. Um, okay, so... We're here to talk about how the world's a mess. Huh. It's yeah. a little on fire, right, right? Yeah. Ryan right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm like, old, old folks have been having the conversation about what's wrong with the world today for years. Right. I'm like, they didn't have as much material. Like it didn't. Yeah. I mean, there were world wars and stuff, so maybe they did. But right. gosh, there's, I feel like the what's yeah. wrong with the world today is just yeah. a whole new conversation. Yeah. And the, the you know, if, if we were to kind of, you know, keep it, contained to really social justice yeah. if you know if we're talking about whether it's nationalism or sexism mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. um you know racism all the all the isms yeah. social justice is not just some hot new topic right made popular by uh hashtags <clears throat> or social media mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. social justice has been going on since the beginning of time it's in right. old testament we mm-hmm. see uh, prophets calling kings, right. you know, hey, you got to treat your people right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously it is central to the gospel, um, taking care of the least of his. Mm-hmm. So um, proof of that is Luke 4, where Jesus mm-hmm. Christ states, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, mm-hmm. And recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is scripture, and it's read by Jesus from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, um, and where he's preaching in his hometown of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And this is his ministry here on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really a mandate for all Christians to follow. Mm-hmm. How do you think we're doing? Yeah, right. Well, and I think... As Jesus does, he shows us up. So he, after that, then he goes out and he does it. And that, and he, and, and every his ministry after that reflects that he's healed. He's healing people that are sick. Uh, he's releasing people that are demon possessed. He is he is going about 
uh, bringing that restoration and Amen. that newness to people. So this isn't just something to sit around and talk about with right. our smart friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we actually need to go out and do right. it. Right. Boom. Here's my mission statement. Now let me show you how to do it. Uh, and I, 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 I love that. I, I, I think that we're, I think that we are, we have been, and we will continue to do a bad job mm-hmm. until I think that's part of why we, we, we await. That's why praying, come Lord Jesus, as John did at the end of the, at the end of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, is so important for mm-hmm. us. It keeps our, our eyes and our hope fixed on the fact that Christ will one day do this again. I have moments when I'm really discouraged about yeah. what I'm seeing around me and I feel so small and yeah. insignificant uh, and so I weep and I say, Lord Jesus, please come back quickly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but that doesn't absolve us from not doing that's something. That's right. And so in the meantime, Jesus, the meantime, lend me your holiness. That's exactly right. <laughs> I yes. end so many yoga sessions just with, I, I heard it somewhere. I didn't mm-hmm. make it up or anything, but Jesus, lend me your holiness. Yeah. To, to affect the here and now. Yes, yes, exactly. And we fight knowing that our hope is anchored in that realization that Christ is coming back. Now we act, we live into that hope, mm-hmm. which means that we have a vision for what it's going to look like here on earth when he comes back to restore it. We have a vision for what that looks like, and we're going to move and act as if we live in that vision right now. Yes. Blessed so do you agree that the concern these days is, is that... If you start to sound mm-hmm. like somebody either committed to or heavily interested in or invested in social justice, then you don't believe in the major tenets of Christianity. Do you do you feel that in your social justice work, which mm-hmm. I, I know that you're active, um, do you feel that pushback? So um, in, in, in my world... A lot of the conversation has been gospel or social justice. Is that kind of hitting right, on you? Yeah. So, yeah. It, so we're given this either or uh, um, paradigm. Uh, so I am either a church that is about the gospel, mm-hmm. or I am one of the liberal churches that's about social justice. Mm. And it wasn't until I've always been a little bit crosswise with that mm-hmm. dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was honestly this last week where I'm like. That's such that that is not a good question to ask because we don't say, "Am I about prayer or the gospel? Am I about uh, worship or the gospel?" Those are just not categories that make any sense. So I'm looking at something like social justice and the gospel. I'm like that setting those two apart just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what we have done going back to well, the, um, in the 1900s, we heard these people that were socially active, and then we kind of relegated them to believing in a social gospel where they abandoned the gospel just to be social activists. Um, people did it in South so there's America. there's a precedent for that. There's a precedent, yeah. And then in South America, it happened again, and we almost demonize people yes. that are involved in social justice, even though they're living out their faithfulness to the gospel. Right. Um, and so we're doing, doing it again. Well, and before we go on, cause I do want to get specific about, you know, how polarizing this can be. Yeah. I think tribal is a word that people have been using Fair. recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we go on, I, I want to touch on why it's fine to hold some of these things loosely. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, not oppressing people mm-hmm. that can't be held loosely, right. but some of these issues that we're up against, I mean like headlines, mm-hmm. um, why it's fine to disagree so that people can relax a little bit while, while listening. Um, I just, I feel like taking a second to make a little room for variety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we have a tendency to get overwhelmed 
and then avoid conversations because we think that we need to agree perfectly. We need to right. agree on everything perfectly. And because that feels impossible, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. alert it is, mm-hmm. um, then we don't end up having the conversation at all. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, how many times can you remember being taught, oh, well, don't talk about politics or religion at the reunion, right. Right. when really I feel like we're kind of feeling the brunt of that mm-hmm. now. We don't mm-hmm. know how to talk about these things. Not right. only have we lost the art for argument, we've right. lost the art for conversation. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. really the message should have been, we can enter into these topics. We need to enter into them kindly right. and respectfully. So instead of avoiding these topics altogether, we are going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about them kindly. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about them as individuals, Ryan Pale mm-hmm. and Allison Sullivan, <laughs> two people right. working as hard as they can mm-hmm. to follow in the footsteps of a savior. Yes. So um, so just a little bit of, of freedom there as we kind of dive Absolutely. into some specific things. Absolutely. So. Um, we have precedent for doing this well, and it's our families. Mm-hmm. We do not agree perfectly with every single person yeah. under our roof, right. but we're committed. Right. We're committed to being a family. And so if we could just take that and generalize it to our Christian family mm-hmm. and have these conversations with a little more ease and respect. Right. Um, so, okay, first question. Yeah, I just want to give an amen before we get to amen. first question. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, yeah, 100%. Fist bump. Oh, someone's at the door. Don't they know very important <laughs> spiritual things are happening the here? World's... Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Right. Are you going to recap? <laughs> nah. nah. We'll let them wonder. Okay, good. Something <laughs> happened. We'll leave it at that. Uh, right. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so Ryan Pale, should the church be involved in politics? <laughs> good. He's right on in. <laughs> nice. Uh... It depends on what you mean by involved mm-hmm. and politics mm-hmm. and church. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, cool. So let me create you a so, matrix. I, I, really? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got it. No, so, uh, yes. Um, the church absolutely should be involved by politics. Um, it's funny, I taught on this this last Sunday. Uh, in Philippians 1, verse 27 says, um, Let your politics be worthy of or according to the gospel. Hmm. Boom. Hmm. Po- or, or as I said, politic, boom. politic yourself according to the gospel. Okay. So what that means is our public life, our civic duty, all of those things we ought to be great at according to the gospel, not according to Caesar, according to our government. So right. grasping so, for power. Yeah. So I don't believe that from a church we ought to say, vote for this candidate. That's wrong. I personally, so my struggle is I struggle to want to withdraw because in casting my vote for any candidate, I'm going to grieve and hate myself a little bit about some, about whatever topic. Because we don't fit neatly. I'm going to, yes, I'm going to walk away thinking, I, I literally have said this after voting. Lord, I'm so sorry. I did the best I could. I hope that it honors you Mm. and, and feel some kind of way about it afterwards. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so I don't believe we should ever stand up and say vote for this person because they align with our beliefs because that doesn't exist. If you do utter those words, I would question your allegiance to, to the gospel in that regard. I would say, interesting. I would have to know more about how you, you can, you can do that. Cause I, I don't know. Right. Um, and our ethic is radically different from the ethics of our politics. 
we follow a person who died, who let go of his power and embraced death, even death on the cross, and who ultimately won. But then he said, also, disciples of mine, do the same thing. Take up your cross. This, is, this isn't a moral, like, hey, be moral and let go of your appetites and desires. That's not what take up your cross. Take up your cross is follow me, and the world is going to hate you. Mm-hmm. And in some level, you're going to have to carry your cross. Right. So we absolutely should be political if our, if our politics follow the gospel, yeah. which is a whole new world. It's living into a whole new world. New reality uh, at the at the resurrection of Christ, something new began. A new community was formed that we call church. Um, we live a new kind of way and a new politic, a new ethic, mm-hmm. um, and we we do so with the strength of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That said, do you feel? I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. That said, do you feel like politics are are different these days? Um, and I, I guess I'm kind of asking a question I already feel like I have an answer to, but I feel like politics, I'm just going to say, I feel like Mm -hmm. politics are different these days. Mm -hmm. And even in talking to people older than me, Mm -hmm. they will agree, you know, the generations above will say, it's never quite been like this before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like before what categorized you as say conservative or liberal Mm -hmm. was a disagreement about how to take care of the poor. Mm -hmm. So if you were conservative, you wanted some independence Mm -hmm. in doing that. You didn't want to be mandated on how to do that, and and that is what made you conservative. If you were liberal, it was because you wanted to have a big institution to do Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so you could be either conservative or liberal and be a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I feel like now, question isn't, how should we take care of the poor? Mm-hmm. I feel like now we've demonized the poor. Mm-hmm. We can't even quote Jesus, welcome a stranger, mm-hmm. without those words being politically charged mm-hmm. anymore. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, so uh, there's a guy named Keith Phillips. He's, he, he is or was the president of World Vision. He gave a talk at the Dallas Seminary Chapel. And he said, the health of the church has always been determined by their treatment of the poor. And it was a great statement and a loaded statement because essentially he's saying, do you embody the type of life and the type of spiritual formation that says, I will, I will uh, honor everybody. I will, the, the man that knocks on my door asking for money. Um, will I treat them with dignity and with respect? And to some extent, will I... Um, set my own agenda aside, set my own preferences aside for the sake of this other human being. Mm -hmm. A healthy church is going to ask those questions. Now, it's going to look a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. An unhealthy church is going to, we will absolve ourselves from treating that person the way a human being ought to be treated. So in the 60s, when we started having these conversations, when, when the introduction of welfare uh, showed up what I what I felt like was happening and I could be completely wrong I feel like the church just outsourced our care for the poor um, to the government and, and, and in a lot of ways it, it eases all of our consciences to know that on some level whether I'm conservative or I'm liberal I am somehow paying toward the poor through my through my taxes 
I don't have to disadvantage myself. Mm-hmm. I don't, I no longer see them as a people. I see them as a program. I see them mm-hmm. as an entity mm-hmm. that lives in my community. Mm-hmm. So when we distanced ourselves from those interactions, from people letting the government take care of it or nonprofits take care of this problem, I hope that me saying problem, I, I hope that we all feel bad about that because mm-hmm. it's meant to be bad. Um, we no longer have to have that eye-to-eye, face-to-face conversations. Right. So the first step was is kind of like dehumanizing yeah. the poor. Um, and then if I have the ability, like we had in the 60s, if I have the ability to move away from them, even physically, when I can move into the suburbs, um, I'm incriminating myself, I'm in the suburbs, uh, but when I can move away from them, then I don't even have to see them except on the news. And then when I only see the poor on the news, then I can form an opinion because every poor person that I come across or person of color is going to be on the news because they're making headlines. Uh, Then I can demonize them. And so I think you get to where we are today where that is heightened. Yeah. That was a long answer. Did I it's answer so good, what though. you... No, I'm oh, hanging I'm on every okay. word. Yes. And by the way, to incriminate myself, because you it's all on a scale. Yeah, it's sure. all on a scale. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so what just happened, we'll go ahead and tell y'all. <laughs> we'll just fill you in. Right. But um, a man knocked on the door. He had been incarcerated and he was looking for money to pay his parole officer. And um, I was willing... Here's what, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. I was willing, because you're talking about how... How far are we willing to go? Mm-hmm. I was willing to give the man the money. I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. I, I scrounged up what I could and gave it to him. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to look him in the eye. I'm willing to shake his hand. I'm mm-hmm. willing to say, I am praying for you and I yeah. care about you. Absolutely. I'm willing to do those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm not willing to do? Because mm-hmm. this is what he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to go to the ATM. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to go pulse out more money. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it wasn't about the, the money for me. It was about this date. Mm-hmm. And that I'm doing this right, right. now. Right. And I'm not going to um, realign my day mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. So right, wrong, I'm just being right. honest. Yeah, That's right. what right. happened in my brain. I, I understand. what you, yeah. like, you're understanding. doing something. <laughs> you're done, I'm in the middle of something. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of something important to me. And so at what point are we inconvenienced? Now... You know, where are we on that scale of feeling inconvenienced? A lot of people would feel inconvenienced Mm -hmm. to open the door. I'm not patting my my back Mm -hmm. about that, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people would have would have stopped everything. The priests walking by in the Good Samaritan, Mm -hmm. they were probably just in a hurry. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not really bad people. Mm -hmm. They just probably had something to do. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in the middle of something. Right. Right. So how often you know can we really be inconvenienced for the needs of another? That's right. Yeah. And I think what's overwhelming too is um, we feel like we have to answer all of their problems and then we yeah. quickly realize that that we're not gonna. Mm-hmm. So like one thing that what I love about the Samaritan is he he went he went the way with the person like he met he met <laughs> the traveler that was down and out. He met him. He walked with him and he set him up. <laughs> he didn't. He right. didn't say, hey, come and live with me right. for a few years. Let's get you rehabilitated and yeah. then on your way. He did say, hey, let me know if there's if there's more bills that need more to be bills, paid yeah. and stuff like that. So, But but essentially he said, I, I am encountering another human, another person made in the image of God. I'm encountering them. They're distressed right now. I'm, I'm responsible internally. I have a duty to you right now on this leg of your yeah. journey. 
Um, and so, but I think we feel like we have to take full responsibility for the person that, the, the person that we, that we encounter. Right. Um, and that's overwhelming. It is. It's overwhelming. I I think we have a tendency to read that story and villainize, you know, the people walking by instead of relating to them. Yeah. Yeah, I I would never do that. (laughs) I would never pass someone. (laughs) And yesterday. God dang it. (laughs) So for today. Um, Okay. So... I was going okay. So going back to the question that you, the 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 differences, mm-hmm. how we have like sort of distanced ourselves from one another, liberal mm-hmm. and, and conservative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or Democrat, Republican. However you want to frame it. Um, I think the first thing that we did wrong, and we've done it, we did it in the Bible, is we just separated ourselves uh, from them. Um, but and we've chosen different ways to kind of ease our conscience. Right. The conservative, the people that are kind of all in free market capitalism, I'm not doing a knock to either of these, mm-hmm. um, although I would knock them both. The problem with free market capitalists is we say, hey, if we just give opportunities, then the low will be elevated. Okay. Um, and and the other side has said, if we just take away their problems financially, then they'll be elevated. Neither one of them works because humans are selfish. And that's just the end of the day. Right. So I, I think everybody's trying to put a band-aid on the issue of the poor yeah. without having to be personally disadvantaged. It, 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 right. And I, I think that things become can easily become that black or that mm-hmm. yes. white without sitting face-to-face with someone That's right. and That's without loving someone mm-hmm. with this plight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once you have loved someone that is experiencing this, That's right. everything changes. Right. Every right. opinion changes. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the difference between nationalism and patriotism? Ooh. Can you tease that out a little bit more? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I well, I, I think that Christians, you know, we, we have this dual citizenship. Yeah, right. And so um, we are we have this, you know, geographical mm-hmm. location mm-hmm. in which we've been born. Yeah. And then our citizenship is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we carry both of those. I think instead of just having a healthy relationship with where we are geographically, right. it can begin to trump mm-hmm. um, our heavenly citizenship. Right. Um, so you and would so say... there's an order. Right. So you would say nationalism is a little bit more just like, look, I live in America. I need to be a, I need to be a good citizen. No, I think nationalism is when your primary allegiance is to your country. Okay. And patriotism is a healthy respect for I live here and Ah, I want to make it better. Perfect. Okay. Um, I'm with you. But, but nationalism is, um, Jesus has a special interest in the healing and wholeness of, right. of these people. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's it's funny, uh, um, Zahn, the, um, uh, Brian yes, Zahn, Brian had said, Zahn. I can't remember, I don't know if he said this We're in all the book. loving and reading Brian Zahn right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 he's awesome. Um, I don't know if he says this in his book, but he, he basically talks about how um, early on, Jesus was Lord. It's funny to say he was, he is Lord. But just in our, in our day-to-day interactions, Jesus was Lord, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And then we started to get a little bit of power um, to where kind of politics, kings, queens, kings, queens, popes, we all kind of were, you know, together and had this one really powerful dynamic. And as we got you, we the church, as we the church got used to being in power, 
then we had to do something with Jesus. Um, and so let's make him, he says, the Secretary of Afterlife Affairs. And so we kind of relegate him wow. to essentially saying, hey, you take care of heaven while we're here on earth. Salvation Things, only. Yeah, that's right. Things are complicated here. We'll take it. We know kind of how to navigate day-to-day life, but you are in charge of afterlife yes. affairs. And so I thought that was a really helpful paradigm yeah. uh, and a yeah. little bit mocking. I agree, but, uh, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so Jesus is committed to the salvation right. of the whole world yeah, is, is, is the, the yes. bottom line regarding yeah. nationalism yeah, and, and right, patriotism. Right, right. He does not, um, love mm-hmm. Americans more. Right. He is not, um, more invested right. in the wellness of our country over another. Right. Um, and if I, and, and I would say with nationalism, if a critique comes out against my guy or against my ideology if that deeply deeply affects me to where i can't be in community with people to where it affects the way that i see the way that i see brothers and sisters in christ this is so good if it if it does something to rock my unity how do you highlight audio i want to highlight right right, this is so good yeah so if if somebody picks up my side if i'm willing to like pick up arms basically or or to uh um get angry or step outside of fellowship i kind of i got a problem yeah and so i think though that will usually tip you off to where you've kind of like reached that that patriotism patriotism to nationalism Mm -hmm. i let me be clear i deal with this like personally like i get it like there's Mm -hmm. when i hear if I am quick to find an enemy because somebody has knocked my guy or my girl, whoever yeah. it is that I'm voting for, whoever it is that I'm kind of highlighting, championing, yeah. um, then I have a problem. It's so good. And I got to call it out. Andre and I call that out yeah. in one another because we're yeah. tempted. It's not like we're above this. Okay. So, which leads to the next question. So how do we, how do we, how do we protest in a godly way? How do we... Mm-hmm. What do we do? Right. Um, within myself or externally? How do I protest that? Uh, I meant externally. Yeah, yeah, how do we? How do we go against uh, yeah, the yeah, things right. we see happening? Yeah. Because the problem is, if I go... For me to protest anything means that I am knocking somebody else's camp or yeah. ideology. Right. Um, and so I, I know that in doing so, I'm angering somebody right. that I'm in fellowship with. Right. And that, and that's just the reality. So, um, I don't, so there's a few things. How do you know when to turn over a table? I know. That's I know. what I'm asking. I know. <laughs> Cause I would like to flip some tables. Can I, I, will you give I me permission Ryan Pale, to flip <laughs> some tables? Ryan Pale will. <laughs> right. Go flip. We'll practice now. I got a coffee table. Start in your house. <laughs> Ooh, that's actually kind of good. <laughs> Start flipping tables in your house, in your own house. That's good. That's what we're naming this episode. I know, right? Yeah. Flipping tables. Allison, with Ryan Pale. I think since since we have a view of what righteousness and justice is, mm-hmm. we have the view. The sociologists don't have it. The politicians don't have it. It's in the church. Mm-hmm. There's no better. There's there is no better ideology for justice and righteousness, social righteousness, than what we find in the person of Christ. I I 
obviously I'm a pastor. I got to buy into that stuff. I believe it wholeheartedly. And it's the thing that keeps me anchored in times that I want to be filled with doubts. So when something, I don't think that everybody has to go out and to march for whatever the cause is, whatever, whatever injustice is out there. I don't think that everybody at all times for all causes need to get out there and march. Yeah. I think you need to be willing when you see injustice, you need to engage in justice. Mm-hmm. I think we, the church, mm-hmm. ought to allow our people to go out and, and to um, uh, call out injustices. Yeah. We see it all the time. We see yeah. it all the time in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. The church is calling out injustices. And so I don't think that everybody needs to take up every cause. I, I will take up the cause just for me. I take up the cause for racism. And, and calling out injustices that affect racism or, or that, are, that are impacted by racism. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that I am using every platform that I have mm-hmm. every time to, to address racism. Um, people, Some people wish I would. Some people wish I would do oh, it less. Sure. And, oh. and that's just kind of oh, the... People tell me what to post all the time. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So... I think that I think that you need to be stirred by something. I think that there yeah. needs to be something going on and in your world. It's a godly world. stirring, don't you? It think? is. It absolutely yeah. is. I think that I think that being in the world means that we are somewhere between sad and angry, constantly living as yeah. citizens of the kingdom. Aware, aware. If That's you're right. aware. That's right. And an interesting thing for my evangelical brothers and sisters, what I've been seeing lately too is the outside world unbelievers are looking and and they are kind of saying oh, what, what is the church doing what did what does the church have to say about these things and so it has been yeah. interesting for the sociologists for the mm-hmm. politicians for whoever else it is to to kind of look out and to say what what is your ethic what are you willing to fight for are you an ally for me which yeah. i think has been an important question yes. even as i'm thinking about sharing my faith with other yes. people they want to say that's great that you believe in the bible but what are you living out in the day to day? Are right. you living in accordance with Jesus? Yes. Um, so, I didn't answer your question. I'm realizing. No, Here's you the thing. did. You did. And, and what I, the only thing that I would add to it Please. is, I I think, and again, you know, this is something I've read that our protest. If we're if we're working for this beautiful end. Mm-hmm then the protest needs to also be beautiful because our That's means good. can't justify our end. Yes, right. And so it's a great temptation yeah. um, to maybe cut corners. Hmm. And so this might be more efficient, right? but you're just taking a worldly way yes. for s- yes. a supernatural desire. Absolutely. You know, and so I, you know, to have beautiful protests, mm-hmm. protests that is yes. beautiful, requires a lot of temperance and prudence, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I, Allison, a, a little over a week ago, I was in Selma, Alabama, and I, um, so I was a civil rights major, if you will, in uh, in college, and my world has been rocked, my faith has been rocked by civil rights leaders, especially as it, as it came through the church. Um, I'm standing on the Edmund Pettus Bridge where where an event called Bloody Sunday happened. Mm. And I'm standing on that bridge, and, and Edmund Pettus was named after uh, an Alabama senator who was also the Grand Dragon of the KKK for Alabama. It's this big monument to mm. 
that history. But I'm standing there knowing what happened on Bloody Sunday, seeing the name that's on top of the bridge, even though in 2018, and and I feel uh, this visceral response, just this this anger, this sadness. But you know what also, as I'm visualizing my brothers and sisters in Christ marching across that bridge in 1965, I'm Mm. filled with pride Mm. because they didn't try to go around or outside of their faith to Mm. to stand against injustice. Mm. They stood courageously, perfectly within their faith convictions. Mm. And that bridge has now become known, even though it's got the Grand Dragon uh, his name on top of it, even though it was a spot of Bloody Sunday, that bridge remains a symbol of the victory yeah. of the people of God yeah. working for social justice, social because righteousness. It was because it was beautiful, because of the way that they yeah. protested. Those those cats in the in the ninth, like what they did, the courage that they have, they yeah. they are still our heroes yeah. and they are models for oh, how, that's to, gorgeous. how to advocate. Well, if if beauty kind of inherently includes temperance and prudence, mm-hmm. then the way that I would tip a table or flip a table is probably different than the way Jesus flipped a table. That, that was a prudent right. <laughs> right. decision right. of his probably. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I have a little bit of an example hmm. of a time that happened in parenting, and I can't decide if this was one of my finer moments or not. But <laughs> I, I mean, I'll just share it. Sort it out later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, we, it was breakfast time and I had a lot of kids close together and it was normally you're kind of dealing with one kid complaining about what kind of bowl they got but because my kids were so close together they were kind of all in that stage Mm -hmm. at the same time and um for one more day I could not handle which bowl we all got Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) it was the proverbial bowl that broke the mama's back (laughs) and I'm standing here um I was holding my own bowl Mm -hmm. And um, it was glass, and it was a satillo floor. Okay? I don't know what that means. It's like a, that Spanish tile. It's just very unforgiving. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's oh, like concrete. Right, right, okay? right, yeah. So I look at my children very calmly, very calm. I'm icy calm. Ooh, I know icy calm. You know icy calm. <laughs> and I said, hey, guys. And I'm kind of whispering. And so they, they've kind of quieted down, and yeah. they're looking at me. And I said, do you want to know how much I care about what bowl you get? Huh. And I just dropped. I didn't. I just. I just released my hands. Oh snap! And a bowl went crashing onto the satio floor. Right. Okay. So that happened. Yeah. And then and they're silent. I mean, if if eyes could talk, like right. my oldest is looking around at the youngest, and he's right. like, <laughs> Who do I blame? Clean up faster, right. siblings. Right. Clean up faster. Okay. So later that afternoon, and this is all preschool age, so they're all just at home, and you know, and we're. Um, I had had some remorse and we were laying on the trampoline together that afternoon. And I said, do y'all want to talk about what happened this morning? And they said, when you threw that bowl? No. And I said, now, now, hold right. on. If you're going to go talking to your therapist right. in, in 20 years, right. at least get it right. <laughs> <The> story right. <laughs> so, and I, and he said, no, I don't want to talk about that. That was scary. Wow. And I said, I do not ever want to scare you Hmm. and I'm I'm sorry that that happened and I am gonna I'm gonna do better because I don't want to be a scary mom and and I said can y'all do better about arguing in the mornings because it makes me crazier and they're like yes and so we had this very beautiful discussion now my four-year-old daughter was being very quiet the whole time Mm -hmm. and when she finally spoke she said mom 
I bet people were scared when Jesus turned that table over. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yep. And I mean, just, she was four. Yeah. Like what insight? I mean, right. so I guess I look at that instance and, and know that there is such a thing as righteous anger. Mm-hmm. And I just, as, as a, with a really earnest desire to follow Jesus, right. I have a hard time right. knowing what righteous anger looks like right. and right. what we're called to in a holy way. I don't know the answer. I have absolutely, I don't, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, he didn't, Jesus didn't have to tell himself to remove the plank from his eye. You know, yeah. it, it was gone. It wasn't there. Oh, that's I, so good. So, so he, he turned, I, I mean, I joked earlier about turning the tables over in our own house. I think I'm going to, I'm going to stew on that a little bit, but, but I think that has to be done. So with race, um, when I think about protesting with race, I'm not about to go out and stand at a protest or to speak boldly about racism unless I've addressed it in my own heart. Mm. Um, And I think that's a common thing to where we're willing to externally uh, advocate for or against things, but we haven't done the work ourselves. And I'll tell you, uh, my own issues with race and racism have been going on since probably uh, 98. I'm still dealing with it. Like I'm I'm still having to... um, I'm still having to address issues that, sure. are, that are inside of me. But the, the the main thing is I can't go out and publicly talk about this stuff in, unless I'm willing to Absolutely. deal with it myself. It's good. It's really good. Um, I had every intention. This is like a fire hose, I feel like, of truth and goodness. And I had every intention to get into more headline stuff with you. But I think I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna have you back on, and we're cool. just gonna like do this again. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be great headlines. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> just keep like, them coming. Whatever's <laughs> happening now, we won't even remember. <laughs> really good but stuff. I really, you know, my life verse is. Do you have one? Do you have like a? I've got ones that I go to yeah. frequently. My, I mean. We need a picture of us in our tattoos, by the way. Yeah. Like right. this, this selfie's uh, happening. We kind of do, actually. <laughs> we yeah. do. Yeah, that needs cool. to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my life verse is Micah 6, 8. Mm-hmm. And just God has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, which is to do justice and to embrace faithful love and to walk humbly mm-hmm. with your God. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there isn't a more all-encompassing right. piece of scripture. Right. right. Um, and, and what that scripture does for me is it just requires the humanity in me to love things that are good, Yeah, you yeah. know? Um, and then a call to restore what's wrong in society, right? you know, yes. to, to get things in better balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, we, like you're saying, you know, we can't take it all on, but right. we can do something. Right. Um, and then just to be compassionate with mm-hmm. one another, you know, and, and you're such a good model of humility in that way too. But I think a huge part of our compassion is humility. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking around, mm-hmm. I feel like we're never going to look into the face of someone who God does not love. Mm-hmm. And that truth coupled with Micah 6, 8 mm-hmm. changes everything. And right. then getting outside your circles and right. sitting knee to knee with people right. that are nothing like you and mm-hmm. that are struggling things with your, that are struggling mm-hmm. with things that you're not struggling right. with. Right. Right. I mean, if we could all just take on those four or five things, right. don't right. you think? Oh my gosh. The yes. kingdom come. Absolutely. And it will be done. I, absolutely. Okay. So I, I have a story. Um, a couple of years ago, Andre and I and a few friends, we, um, we went to, there, there's some, um, racism discussion that was going on 
um, at Revolution, I think, a little you know bar uh, in downtown oh, sure. Bryan. And we showed up at this thing, and uh, I didn't know anybody that was there. I didn't know who was putting it on. I didn't. I'm just like, I'll, I'll talk about this. That's great. Oh, you're there to speak? Um, no, uh, no, no, no. Just okay. it was a, it was like yeah. a discussion, yeah, like yeah. a big discussion. Great. So, yeah. so I get there, and um, you know, I'm talking to the guy next to me, and um, and just asking him about you know himself, and and what I found out through that conversation with him, and obviously throughout the meeting, is it was it was an anarchist group. Uh, that was that that was meeting to discuss, you know, their whole thing is powers and and power is a bad thing, so get rid of it and no government. Um, but I'm sitting there and just kind of had this moment of saying, why is the anarchist group hosting this hmm. when uh, when the church has not only the ethic and the worldview, but they have the job. To have these kind of discussions at Difficult the very least, yeah. so it's not a knock against the anarchists; it's a knock against us. Mm. To, that why are why are people outside of the church having to fumble around with right. this stuff? Right. When we have a faith that says, "Break down the dividing walls, turn your cheek for your enemies, let go of your power, take up the cross." Yeah. But if we don't do those, then we outsource it to yeah. other groups. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I, you look all throughout Scripture, and God seemed to bless the people mm-hmm. that um, that argued with Him, right. that wrestled with Him, right. that right. wanted to understand, that mm-hmm. really went back and forth or mm-hmm. entered into real dynamic mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you doing exactly that today, mm-hmm. Ryan Pale. You're That's just awesome. a well of wisdom and. Mm-hmm. We're so thankful. And it's only right that you're our first Center Saint girl. <laughs> I'm waiting for the t-shirt. I'm tired of funny looks. We need a, yeah, we need a cross through. Right. Like, okay. Right. Well, yeah. I'll get one of my millennial friends on that to redo the graphic. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I will say thanks thanks so much for, I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff. I care deeply about this stuff. I, I'm really grateful to have a platform to get to share about it. So mm, thank you. So thankful. Okay. So will you come back on? Yes. Thank All right. You. Thanks a lot. Thanks. You're awesome. the best of the best. And now, a word from our sponsors, Hustle 3. You guys, I'm so excited about this. With five kids and a jillion activities to get them to, I don't have time to add a private baseball lesson into the mix, but my newest sponsor, Hustle 3, has come to the rescue. With a very reasonably priced monthly subscription service, all I have to do is take a video of my son hitting a baseball on my phone and then load it up to Hustle3.com, where an expert coach breaks down his swing frame by frame and gives him drills to work on that are specific to his needs. A few weeks later, I upload another video and the training continues. I can stop the subscription at any time and then restart it once the next season's here again. If my son ever decides to start pitching, I'm going to be using Hustle3.com to get him expert instruction from, get this, a former Major League Baseball pitcher. Where else could I get my son access to this kind of training on my time with no driving around town and at an affordable price? I don't know much about baseball mechanics, but evidently, that's what he's learning. The drills teach him muscle memory patterns that don't just get him better, but help him to avoid injury down the road. I'm going to be a member of Hustle 3 community for years to come, and you should too. So, if you think you might be interested, head over to Hustle3.com, give it a try yourself.
Dear God, we, your children, long to be peacemakers in this contentious world, agents of your reconciliation, ambassadors of the kingdom which is to come. You gave us your Son, a perfect example of love and mercy in the face of taunting and torture. Let us look to him and lean on him and rely on him so that our love for others give testimony to his love for all of us. Help us, God, to persevere in tumultuous times, to not be overcome by the divisiveness of it all, but instead be overcome by your goodness, your faithfulness, your presence among us. Holy Spirit, move freely among us. This is momentary unrest and chaos, but you, God, promise us peace. Let us fix our eyes, not on what is seen. Please, God, may our obedience draw others to your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray, our peacemaker. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, thank you to Chan Redfield for music and Pamela Anthony Cutright. Thank you to Hustle 3. And a special thank you to Andrea and Ryan Pale, one of the more inspiring, seeking, faithful couples you're likely to come across. Check out Andrea's episode, Season 3, Episode 3, Seeking Adventure and Finding Rest. And follow them on Instagram at Wayfaring Way. And don't forget to... Email us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Keep in touch on Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison M. Sully. And be sure to catch the mini episode for extras.